Here we go. Season 7. If you missed it, here's what we believe. 66 book canon. We believe in a 66 book canon. There is no more. There is no less. It's 66 books. That Yeshua, who is preached by the apostles in the Gospels and in the epistles, is the only means of salvation, as we are calling Yeshua, means. In other words, justification is by faith alone and not by works that any man should boast. Faith working through love. We are unashamedly Trinitarian. We're also unashamedly uh, doctor, believe in the doctrines of grace, what is commonly referred to as Calvinistic. The, the new covenant is not time bound. That is to say that the, the horizon of the faith of our father Abraham is no different. Right. No, no, it is not shy of the horizon of our hope and our faith. In other words, the, that the salvation was salvation was the same for Abraham as it is for us. Right. Wednesday, October 14th, 2020. This is Messiah Matters number 317. Off social media and feeling productive. My name is Caleb Egg. Digging that baritone sax. I don't know if it's real or a synth, but it's hip. I'm Rob Van Hoff. <laughs> what up, buddy? How's it going? Bit-ip. There's something about that. Barry. But it, <laughs> it's going well. Going well. God is good. All right. <laughs> God is good. It's what what a amazing thing, you know. He's he created the world. He created such a beautiful world. I know you. We went for a drive and saw some some a variety of of landscape, you know, and um, beautiful fall colors coming in. And then he, he created us and then he gave us physical life and then he gave us eternal life. And then not only that, he preserves for us who are still in, you know, here on the planet, his word in the original languages and manifold translations and, and centuries of commentaries. And now to even add to that, we have the internet and much of this is digital and available to us. And the question is how hard, how bad do you want it? You know, do you, do you know what's at stake? And I'm kind of leading towards this verse. I think we might talk about where in Hebrews 10 or provoke one another unto love and good works. That provocation and, and is it in Jude where it says contend for the faith? And it's like, to what degree is it okay to think of competition as part of, I mean, Paul uses, you know, if, if people, in this world run races and only one person's going to win and they discipline their bodies and they train and they train and they train like in the Olympics, you know, and then one person gets the crown, the, 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 the wreath. He's like, how much more in the spiritual world when Yeshua says, seek first the kingdom, are we all in for that? Are we heart, soul, strength, all in for God? That's the greatest commandment. Everything's contingent on that. And if we, if, are we playing religion? Do I play religion? Is it like a t-shirt I wear sometimes, you know, or is it inside out all what I'm about? I just, there. I don't know. I don't know why, but I just thought of a shirt that was like religion employee of the month or something, you know, like, <laughs> anyway. that's nice. That's nice. Anyway. Yeah. So, uh, yes, very good thoughts. Uh, my family just got back from Idaho, and we went for a, a small little trip. Or as some people call America. America. I got to tell you, I got to tell you, what what it made me realize is that I am done wearing masks. 
Oh, it was so nice being over there. <laughs> People were <It>, like, <laughs> it, it's funny because on every every place you go, there's a sign that it, you know the exact same signs that we got here in Washington. You know, it is required by law that you wear a mask into this place. <laughs> so I go into this cafe, right? I go into this cafe. The hostess, not wearing a mask. The cooks behind the line, not wearing masks. No one is wearing a mask. It's like the sign is just there to be pretty. It was awesome. <clears throat> then we come back in then we come back into Washington and everybody do you have your mask? Do you have your mask? <laughs> it's such a it's you know what it is? It's what they call it a virtue a virtue signal. Yeah. So I I, I call it's, especially like yeah. they had a picture of Biden and like he had the mask on and then he pulls it down and then coughs into his hand and then he and then he pulls it back up. This is like before the interview starts or whatever. I, I, it's like, I, I called the library yesterday because my kids, you know, they, they my kids are they need library books, right? I call the library. I said, are you guys open? She said, well, we're open for pickup. I said, okay. So I have to call in and like tell you what I want and then I can pick it up. She says, yeah. I say, okay. Um, I said, so uh, she, she, I was like, when are you going to open? You know, like for people to come in. She goes, when we go to phase three. Oh, I said, oh, so like November 4th. And she, she was like, uh, we don't know when, when we'll go to phase three. Okay. Anyway, well, few will get that joke. But the few who get it will get it. The day after, yeah. Um, wow, that's okay. funny. Let's let's get into some real, real talk here. Now, I've already given everybody our credentials. I've already uh, told you how to how to uh, you know. I've already put our producers up there. Thank you very much to our producers. Uh, by the way, I want to say this: we did record, and so for our supporters, we we recorded a twenty-minute video yesterday. It is up on Messiah Matters More. It's actually a really, I think, I think we have redeemed ourselves for our <laughs> Caleb and I, we're just talking and all of a sudden he's like, should I record this? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and we just like. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I personally think it was really good. And the reason why is because it's something that I've, I'm still struggling with in my mind. And so talking about those kind of, but basically the, the video is called denominationalism and it actually ties directly into what we're going to talk about today. And so if you want like an extra 20 minutes of content on denominations and what denominational, like how we view denominationalism today, then I would highly suggest uh, jumping on board and being a supporter of the show and then going to Messiah Matters More and you can view it there. Um, so thank you to all of our supporters and all of our producers. If you aren't a supporter and you still want to help this show in some way, stop what you're doing right now, press the like button on this video, and then subscribe to our YouTube channel. I know it doesn't sound like much, but it actually helps us a ton. All right, let's jump in. Um, I want to address a question that came in from our good friend Cameron. And um, this, this shows um, maybe, and he admitted this, by the way, but this shows kind of some of our upbringing and how the upbringing in the church for a lot of us has kind of shaped and this I'm not talking about Torah movement Hebrew roots messianic none of that I'm just talking about your average Christian who has grown up in the church we have these preconceived notions like for instance I always was of the assumption that Satan was originally the angel who was the like music director in heaven. Now, I don't know exactly where I got that. Maybe it was the book of Enoch or something, but I heard it probably in uh, Sunday school growing up. So I just all of, I always assumed that his inner workings were musical instruments. And, you know, so it, these are the kind of things that we have to shed as we uh, get older and start to st study a little bit more from, for ourselves. So this is the question that Cameron wrote and he said, he said, how are we to interpret the scripture when it speaks of worldwide currency? The central banks around the world are pushing real hard for digital versions of currency. It sounds like they would be keeping their own currency, but having it all be digital. Is this possibly a nod to global currency or because of the fact that they will keep their own version not qualify yet? Okay, now, let, let's, now that you've heard the whole email, let's go back and read the very first sentence again. How are we to interpret the scriptures? when it speaks of a worldwide currency. Okay, let's stop right there. First of all, uh, I wrote back to Cameron and I said, can you please give me specific instances where the Bible speaks of worldwide currency? And a little while later, Cameron wrote back and said, yes, I have searched and realized now that there is no 
scripture that at least that I can find that specifically talks of worldwide currency. I think what Cameron was thinking of is the idea that you're not going to be able to buy and sell under the mark of the beast. Now, there have been some really good videos recently by groups that I don't necessarily endorse and have issues on other aspects of theology, but the videos have been speaking directly to what the mark of the beast is and the idea that the mark of the beast isn't actually something that's on your forehead and your hand, but rather that, and I've just said this before, that your head and your hand are um, symbols of who you are and what you do in your life. And so it's more uh, my thought, and this is just a suggestion, I would certainly not fall on my sword, as my father often says, I'd not fall on my sword for this theology, but the idea is that the mark of the beast is living your life in accordance with what the name of the beast is. And the same would go for when we are uh, supposed to pray in the name of Christ or in the name of Yeshua, what are we supposed to do? It's not that, you know, honestly, I don't think that passage means you end every pr your prayer with, you know, in Jesus' name we pray or in Yeshua's name we pray. I don't think that's what it's talking about. Rather, I think it means coming in the representation of who Christ is. And so the mark of the beast, in my opinion, is actually is not actually a mark that you're going to have on your head and your hand. Rather, it's going to be living a lifestyle in accordance with who the beast is and who the Antichrist is. That is, being living a life of anti-Messiah, Antichrist. And so the idea of not being able to buy and sell, I mean, yeah, I I certainly would never say that we, we you know, certainly the scripture doesn't, you know, talk about you know, uh, a physical mark. I mean, maybe there will be a physical mark, but I, I, you know, I think that we have these preconceived notions because of maybe some of the things that we heard growing up, but also because of movies like, uh, what was the movie? There was an old movie. I think it was like Taken or something. Not Taken. It was, uh, that was a different movie. I don't remember. Anyway, it's a Christian movie, you know, where uh, Left Behind, that, there, there we go, Left Behind, you know, and, and all of a sudden the rapture happens and, you know, dude sees like cars driving by themselves and like clothes that are like empty on the seat. And the woman, go I, I remember seeing this at my cousin's house because it was the only movie that he was allowed to watch. And uh, <laughs> like the wife goes. It's like indoctrination into rapture. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Calvary. Uh, <laughs> but, but the wife goes into the bathroom and like the, the guy's electric shaver is still on, but it's buzzing like in the sink, you know, because everybody got raptured. And so like we have these preconceived notions because of these things that we've seen growing up and the idea of the mark of the beast being like something that you're going to scan, you know, and all of a sudden that's how everybody's going to get. It. Now, don't get me wrong. There is technology that they're trying to uh, use with, you know, microchips and whatnot and stuff like that. And I certainly would never be one to be like, yes, let's all go get microchipped. That sounds like a great idea. Certainly not. Um, but at the same time, I'm not convinced that the mark of the beast is actually a physical mark on your hand and your head that uh, that is going to uh, allow you to buy stuff. Right. And so yeah. the idea of global currency, uh, once again, I'm, I'm not convinced that the Bible speaks directly about like global currency or that it's going to be wrong to have global currency. Now, this is as close, by the way, as you are going to get to me talking about eschatological issues. <laughs> You want to you want to have a discussion about Revelation? Probably not the guy to come to. However, uh, I just wanted to. This is more to highlight the idea, and I've done. Uh, this is not to down Cameron in any way, shape, or form because I've done the exact same thing. But you know, the idea is that we are we are raised and conditioned within the communities, and maybe rightly so, to believe specific doctrines and things that uh, that you know are being taught from the scriptures. And sometimes, not a lot, but sometimes we have these kind of man-made ideas that creep in to those theologies. And I'm, I kind of think that this might be one of them. Now, with the discussion of man-made theologies and man-made laws, I now want to move to our main topic. That's right. It's only 15 minutes into the show, and we will now move to our main topic. And uh, we're going to do that because Rob started a conversation with me the other day, randomly, while we were just chatting. And we were talking about, and I, I'll set this up and then I'm just going to let you fly with this because I know that you're going to be able to talk for days on this. We were talking about the uh, hearings for 
the filling the seat of the Supreme Court Justice. And if you don't know what is going on with this, you know, I, I don't watch a lot of news and I'm not on social media right now. So I'm actually probably the most out of the loop. I think most people, even in other countries like Canada and England and all these places, the United Kingdom, know what's going on in the United States. Right now, there is a vacant seat in the Supreme Court, and we will talk about the structure of that court compared to the structure of the biblical court. And um, But basically, there's nine justices, one seat is open, and obviously, President Trump is uh, going to put up a justice, and he has put up a justice to uh, be vetted to try to fill that seat. And the justice that he has put up is a... Uh, respectable woman named Amy Coney Barrett. And so these, um, these tr- I, they're not trials, these uh, hearings are going on to uh, kind of vet her and all these kind of things. So um, with that said, talk to me, Rob, about how the, and you know, we rarely talk about anything po- politically motivated. However, in this Instance, I don't want to talk necessarily about the politics of it, but we see a lot of people all of a sudden um, becoming very interested in law. <laughs> all of a sudden, everybody has a law degree. Um, you know, every American doesn't matter where you're from, you got a law degree, and uh, and all of a sudden, everybody is talking about law, which is interesting to me. So, I want to talk about your your what has sparked in your head about law, and then we'll go into some other issues. Go. Well, like you said, I, among so many other people, have a law degree. (laughs) Not. (laughs) That's the first thing that I realized, like, okay, all these Latin phrases. I'm like, uh, I don't know what that means. You're going to have to explain that to me. Uh, But, I, you know, I've tried to watch little bits and pieces from the live streaming of these uh, hearings that are happening Monday through, I think, Thursday this week to vet this, um, uh, you know, woman who's an amazing, I mean, it's an amazing story, like seven kids um, and like top of her Notre Dame law school, I think it was, and just has a track record of of being like a level-headed judge. And, and, and she's, I think, Catholic and conservative. Um, and so she is painted as what we call a, a, a literalist or an originalist. In other words, she believes that the wording of the Constitution can be understood according to the way, uh, what it meant. What it meant and, and, and then how it is legally binding. And okay. so okay, subsequ- right. any ruling has to, can't go against that. Now we believe the exact same thing about the Bible, right? So uh, in other words, we believe in what is commonly referred to as a historical grammatical interpretation. In other words, it has to be placed into the historical b- backdrop of when it was written and the grammatical issues of what is being said have to be taken into account. So grammatically, what does it say? Historically, what are they saying? And then interpretation comes from that. So already we see that the literalist interpretation is something that we also hold to, but we do it with the Bible. Okay, keep going. Yeah, exactly. So so that's what is kind of resonating in the back of my mind while listening to some of the drilling from the, because basically it's the, it's the Senate, you know, uh, that confirms or rejects a nominee and they do it by drilling the, the candidate uh, or the, the nominee. It's not, a, it's not a voting process. It's a, well, initially they're going to drill and they will vote to confirm or not. Uh, but in any case, the question of how she interprets law is repeated over and over and over again. On the one hand, because there are people on the left that are afraid she's going to come with an agenda to overturn previous existing law. Sure, okay. And so they're trying to pin her down. Right. But how does, but how does this relate? Position. How does this relate 
Well, because her response, I think, are always brilliant. Her response is the job of a judge um, is not to just wake up in the morning and and is, is not legislative branch. It's the, the judicial branch. It's a separate power. And we only hear cases. And, and then we have to decide on cases through a process of of what does the Constitution say? And then are is there established precedent of authoritative subsequent rulings that help to clarify and constrain what options uh, in the future are? And um, so it's, it's a fascinating topic to me. And again, I don't have a law degree, so I don't have all the proper terminology. But one of the key things, and then I'll hand it back over to you, is this notion of what people have accepted as law has an influence on a law's authority. And so um, it, it, this got me thinking about like uh, Yeshua's interaction with the Pharisees, for example, about hand washing. And we can read about that in Mark chapter 7 or Matthew 15. And the idea is that there had been an, some sort of established ritual practice by some Jews, not all Jews. I'm losing my glasses there. Not all Jews, but certain groups, and it's, it seems like the Pharisees, um, of a certain way of washing hands that had been acceptable by the insiders. And they used this as a way to mark out their space and to say, we are true Israel or whatever it is. We represent purity of the God of Israel and et cetera, et cetera. And we're not just going to easily just fellowship with anybody. You got to do this. So Yeshua confronts them on this point because there was a sense of like, how come you guys aren't doing the hand washing? Your disciples aren't doing this. And, and so he uses this to say, look, you have so many of your own traditions that you've established. So that is customary law, not, not written law, customary law. That is in fact, um, it is uh, man-made. It's not uh, from God. And by upholding it, you've actually acted to nullify God's actual law. And that this is, this is hypocritical. And, Isaiah, and then he quotes Isaiah where it says, these people draw near to me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Right. And so this is an example of Yeshua coming and reaffirming the written Torah to overturn a, who knows how many, it could have been a couple generations worth of tradition of this hand washing that it developed, you know, because uh, he says it's of the uh, traditions of the elders. So the idea is that it was rooted in some sort of uh, legacy, but this is a, something we do. It wasn't a brand new tradition. It had been around for some generations. Um, but he's Yeshua doesn't have a problem saying, eh. uh, now, we subsequently, if we follow Yeshua, then we cannot overturn his ruling. We can't establish, if we if were to establish a community and say, okay, we're going to ha- institute a hand-washing ritual and then uh, exclude people if they don't do it. Right. That's That would be a total affront to, to Yeshua's ruling. Now, Yeshua's never said, don't wash your hands. It's what was happening what were the social ramifications of, of what they did? And are, as, the, as a body, as a community of believers, were they preserving a difference between God's revealed law and their own traditions? Or was it all being blended together as one thing? For us, we, I believe, I'm absolutely convinced, Caleb, I think you're on the same page, uh, uh, that Yeshua categorically mandates that we have to keep those as separate. We, we, we have to yes. recognize traditions and differentiate them from the actual commandments of God. And that's super important. But for example, the the contrast is there are many Jewish communities that uh, either have never heard the gospel or heard it and have rejected it. And they're happy with, with a rabbinic view of the world that conflates these 
to I, where I, it's I, it's get it comes from Moses. It comes from Moses at Mount Sinai. I think that this happens in every single facet of uh, of religious life, or not religious life, but every uh, uh, facet of of religious um, denominationalism. I mean, no matter no matter where you look, what we tend to do is we tend to make traditions, and then we tend to see them as or put them on the same level as scripture what the yeah, scripture okay. so the example this is so we don't have to look to the world of judaism right to find that look at we were talking about protestantism so sunday is the sabbath day or when i grew up in the lutheran tradition it's the sabbath was done away but right. the reason we keep sundays because it's an ancient tradition right. so in either case you have an ongoing uh teaching that is enacted week in and week out over and over and over again across how many generations that when you look at it, you say, wow, this is actually a tradition of man that has been elevated to nullify the word of God. No different than in my view, it's just different. It's, it's the same kind of thing as the hand-washing thing of the Pharisees. Right. So in other words, I, I, I mean, tell me if I'm wrong, but do you think, could you imagine a situation now, this is, this is kind of more playful thinking, uh, but Yeshua coming and saying, you guys, you've made, you've made this your own thing, this Sunday, your own thing, and you've nullified the word of God. I think we'd go, yeah, that makes sense. You know, it's, it's not rooted in scripture. It's a, it's a tradition and every tradition needs to be evaluated. No, oh, and, and, and yeah. And, that, and according to the Torah. Yeah, and that's one of the points that I that I think I made in, in our video yesterday is that we all are we all should have our law degrees as believers, as Christians, as whatever you want to say. We should all be striving to get our law degrees, and that doesn't mean going to a seminary. And, and I mean that's a great thing to do. I'm all for education, but the point is is that every single day we need to be pouring over the law. We need to be pouring over the scriptures. We need to open up the sixty six book canon. And we need to become. We need to become lawyers. We need to become experts of the law, and that's not so that we can tell. That's not so we can beat people over the head with the law. It's so that we can understand how uh, how God's economy, how his um, how his kingdom is ruled. And by the way, this is not a. Um, this is not a Torah movement perspective. John MacArthur has said that every Christian, every true Christian is a theonomist. Now, for those who don't know what theonomy is, and we talked about this a little bit with when we were discussing with Jeff Durbin. I've gone since then, I have gone and, and studied theonomy and reconstructionism. I think that both of them are things that we could talk about today. The idea of theonomy is simply that uh, theonomy simply means God's law. And any Christian who believes in sanctification in some form is a theonomist. And the reason why is because unless you believe in a, re, you know, you say this prayer and you can just do whatever you want, you know, MacArthur and Piper and Sproul and all these, you know, all these uh, evangelicals are going to say, no, 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 that's not how it works. We are justified and then we are sanctified under Christ. Sanctification is a, a uh, walking out of faith through the law. And and I think that uh, people... Obedience to authority. Exactly. And, and, <laughs> a commander. Right. If there's, if, there's, if there's mitzvot, there's a mitzvah. There's a commander. Exactly. And so this is, this is what theonomy is, is keeping the, the commands of God. Now, obviously... MacArthur's going to have, you know, I, I was reading a couple weeks ago in MacArthur's Acts commentary. He has this whole section. He has 10 reasons why the Sabbath has been done away with, essentially, or why it's been moved to Sunday. And so obviously, I have a much different view of God's law uh, in that respect than MacArthur does. That doesn't mean that I think MacArthur's, you know, unjustified or going to hell or any of these things. It means that I have a different view of what the I have a different interpretation of the law. And so theonomy is the keeping of the law. Reconstructionism takes it a bit farther. Reconstructionism is is kind of 
from what I understand, it has pretty much began begun to fade out. It was real big in like the 80s, 90s. And this was the idea that we as believers should attempt to put people in office in whatever country we're in, whether it's America or Canada or the United Kingdom or whatever, we should try to put people into government that believe and will try to change laws to uphold God's law and therefore try to structure each um, each nation after the Torah is basically what uh, Reconstructionism is. Now, I'm not positive, but I think that, for instance, uh, and I'm give you a for instance, I'm, I think, I could be wrong on this, I think that like Ted Cruz is a, has been said to be a Reconstructionist. Okay. Um, with that said, the problem that I have with Reconstructionism is that I don't think that we should expect unbelieving slash pagan nations to follow after and uphold God's law. In fact, we should expect the opposite. And so, for instance, a perfect example of this would be in America today, you have millions of babies being murdered. Mm. And so the idea that we're going to appoint enough people that all of a sudden America's just going to flip a switch and we're going to be following after God's law, it doesn't make any sense to me. In fact, I think that the covenants have been made with a specific nation, and that specific nation is, in fact, Israel. And I think that one of the problems that we have with the Reconstructionist idea is that people have replaced, and this is Reconstructionism and non-Reconstructionism, I think that people have replaced God and the Bible with government. Government is not here to take care of you and to uh, make sure that you're okay and to make sure that your bills are paid and all that kind of stuff. This is actually the function of the believing community. God's ecclesia, we are supposed to take care of brothers and sisters within the, within the ecclesia. And what has happened is people have moved away from God and they have taken the community structure and the way that the community is supposed to function. And they've said, I need this somewhere else because I don't believe in God anymore. And instead they have focused it on their government. And so I think that government has actually replaced community in many ways. And I think that that's, I think that that's a major problem. In other words, the idea of unemployment, for instance, the idea that I'm going to sit back and I'm, don't get me wrong, there are people I know right now who are on unemployment, of course, because of COVID and all this kind of stuff. But the idea that I lose my job and now the government is going to take care of me, I see that more as the role of the ecclesia. In other words, if you lose your job and you have five kids and you're in a community, the community is the one that should come around you and try to help you get back on your feet and get back working in these things. Instead, we have now put our faith and our hope in a government that is not a believing government. And that is my problem with Reconstructionism. Um, I know that I'm going to get pushback from that, especially from my friends who are Reconstructionists. <laughs> but basically, this is all to say that I think that the structure of law within our communities, and I would encourage all of our supporters to go and watch our video on uh, denominationalism, but the idea of law within our communities and the idea of law within God's kingdom is separate from what is going on in any government around us. And I think that God's law and God's government is higher than any government, any man-made government. Does that make sense? In other words, I think that that's all man-made law. Yeah, and and, and if the context of our life on this planet as believers is is an eschatological hope of Yeshua coming and bringing justice, then we know that any local effort that we have is not ultimate justice. It's going to be it's going to be imperfect. You know, I mean. Um, Otherwise, if, if we could establish God's kingdom here, we wouldn't need Yeshua. To, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> we, it, it, so, so it's there is a difficulty, you know, with what as, you know, I can only speak as an American citizen because I've never been. This is where I was born, and this is you know where I was educated, and English is my main language, you know. And um, so I can't speak for people born in different countries under different uh, kinds of 
economic systems or um, you know whether it's a, a oppressive or or religious like under let's say an Islamic state or anything like that I, I don't have experience on that but um, speaking as a, a US citizen it it is difficult because there are both what we call Judeo-Christian ideals mixed in with Roman political uh, ideas um, in our in our nation's government and, and its institutions. And um, but on, on, but when you look at you know the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. I would say, you know, it's it it's it's the best effort that we see in the modern world to have a separation of of powers into the you know the different branches of the government. But obviously, it's not perfect. It's far from perfect. But but if you do a comparative study and look at other nations, you know, it seems it seems like it has some wisdom in it. Yeah. But it doesn't claim to be perfect. Uh, um, it's very it, by its very nature through the lawmakers and you know through the different branches of government. The idea is that it um, can sharpen. You know the tri- while it, while in the Declaration of Independence it just says uh, you know the idea of equality regardless of race is there only in seed form, because as we know, you know, how many of the founding fathers, as we call them, were slave owners or whatever, although there was, you know, heavy discourse about uh, abolitionists, you know, in, even in the late 18th century, but, um, and before, but it's not until, you know, Abraham Lincoln, for example, that that actually gets traction. It seems that in history, there's always more money than wisdom and because people who are, and what I mean, godly wisdom. So people have earthly wealth and with earthly wealth comes power to make decisions and enforce ideas. And that usually is way ahead of the development of, of the righteous. But this is is exactly why I think that the spiritual, uh, the spiritual law court, in other words, the spiritual structure of, of our ecclesia is is higher than local government. Uh, I want to get to a couple of uh, comments here in in um, the, the in the chat room. Uh, Jessica says it sounds like you make a defi- definition uh, differentiation. Sorry, between how to follow Torah in the land versus in the exile under other nations. No, what I'm saying is is that when we when we look at non-believing governments, so for instance. I would not say that Israel right now is a believing, I mean, they're a pagan nation, just like America predominantly is. In other words, when Israel in the Bible, let's let's take it back to the Bible, when Israel in the Bible is going after, and I've been reading in First and Second Kings recently, how many times does it say, and, you know, and he became the king, uh, you know, in this year of his life. And he followed after other gods, and he built the ashram, and he and he uh, sacrificed his son to Moloch. It's like, what are you doing? Come on, man! Like, you're in the land. All you have to do is follow God, right? And so, you know, obviously the the prophets come out swinging. They don't they don't sit back and say, oh well, it's Israel, and you know, oh, we're God's chosen people, so we'll just go along with it. That's not how it works. Israel right now is a is a non-believing, predominantly non-believing nation. Their government is a non-believing government. And so the idea that all of a sudden, you know, we should be looking to Israel, uh, no. We And even if we were living in the land, and I know that there are some people who listen to this show who do live in the land, even those who are living in the land, they can't keep the Torah according to the Torah itself. And the reason why is because you don't have a temple, you don't have a priesthood, you don't have a believing, you know, there's not a believing structure to uphold law the way that law is intended to be kept through Christ, right? You can only keep law truly through Christ. 
And so um, I think that we, it's not that we have a difference in, in keeping Torah in and outside of the land. My point is that we keep Torah, we keep the law of God according to the law of God as best we can within our communities, no matter where we are in the world, no matter what government, what like local government we live under. That's my point, is that the the unbelieving pagan nation that we might live in, whether it's Israel or whether it's the United States or Canada or the United Kingdom, that governmental structure uh, is placed underneath the law of God. That's my point. We are people of the law. We're people of God's law, not people of the United States law first and foremost, or the United Kingdom law, or you know Israel Israel's law in terms of their governmental law. We are people of the law, uh, and that is God's law. And then um, someone else says, the Bible says the nations would look to Israel and admire their God and their law not the U.S. I agree with that. However, once again, we when we talk about Israel and their law, it's not talking about the governmental uh, structure of Israel today. It's talking about the people. It's talking about God's law. It's talking about the Bible. That's exactly what it's talking about. Okay. Um, and so I want to now move to Laura's question. Laura wrote in and um, she... So we've, we've talked so much in the past, I don't know how many episodes, five, ten episodes about community. We've been really hitting ho- ho- hard this idea of community and, uh, you know, uh, living out God's law within community. So Laura writes and she says, recently you discussed what constitutes a community. And I've heard you say several times that without community, you can't be following all the, and then she puts in caps, apostolic commands. That's not what we've said. Um, I'm sorry to say, Laura, you've misunderstood. It's not apostolic commands. It's commands of Torah. You can't, you cannot keep the commands of Torah and not be in community. I don't know what that, I don't, do we ever use that term? Have we ever used that? Apostolic apostolic? commands? No, we have I don't think we've ever used, we've used apostolic scriptures to refer to what is commonly referred to as the New Testament, Hmm. but Apostolic commands is not something that I, that's not in my vocabulary. Yeah, my, my, my neither. So, um, I wonder what she means by that. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know, but, but I, that, that would be my first correction in this uh, question is that we don't, it's not that you have to be in community to keep apostolic commands. It's that you have to be in community to keep the Torah. Okay, so let's keep going. My question is about corporate worship, and are we commanded to corporately gather and worship in the Bible? I am not aware of reading that explicitly. This ultimately comes down to a difference between your English translation and the original uh, Hebrew of the Torah. But let's keep going with her question. She says, I've been told not to forsake the assembly of ourselves. Okay, I'm not sure where she got that translation, but that is a mistranslation. Uh, she Assembly. is Assembly. she is trying to reference Hebrews ten twenty five, which says not to neglect the meeting together. Do not neglect meeting together as it is as is the habit of some, but are encouraging one another, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So it is to actually um, meet together. She goes on, although I don't see a specific weekly limitation being set there, nor does it seem specific to corporate worship alone versus community and fellowship. Last paragraph from her, she says, also the Sabbath command of holy convocation, my lay research shows this just means reading or reciting. Is this a command to gather to read corporately? I'm not sure. This is a reference. Would you read that last sentence? Yeah. Also the Sabbath command of holy convocation, dash. My lay research shows this just means reading or reciting. That's not what it means at all. There's no command in the scriptures that I have found that says to read the scriptures. Now, it's certainly implied, but this would go back to community uh, like tradition. Obviously, if the Lord is present in our communities, then we want to hear what he has to say. And so he should take front and center and his word should as well. Sure. But the command in Leviticus 23.3, which I think she is attempting to re- refer to, says nothing about reading or reciting. So I think that this, once again, is a maybe a misquote or Maybe she's taking the Hebrew mikra'e 
Kodesh, Mikra'e, Mikra'im, to be Mikra, meaning um, scripture or something. Well, because Mikra later in rabbinic terminology, Mikra is a word for scripture. Um, but I don't know if that's what she means or not. Well, in Leviticus 23.3, this is, I mean, this is a direct command of to gather. It says, six days you shall work, it shall, I'm sorry, six works, weeks, six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation, which is the word Micha Kodesh. Which, That's the one I was talking about, yeah. Which is holy gathering. In other words, it's a set-apart gathering. So the the term Micha Kodesh is where we get holy gathering, and this Leviticus 23.3 specifically tells us that the Sabbath is a holy gathering, as do, do other places. But the idea is that, yes, the Sabbath is a Micha Kodesh. The Sabbath is a gathering together. And so if we're going to keep the Sabbath, part of keeping the Sabbath is Micha Kodesh, holy gathering. And if you're not in a community, you can't perform a Micha Kodesh. It is a Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwelling places. So, um, yeah, and Sarah in the chat room says uh, that uh, Acts 15.21 says that the law would be read in the synagogues, certainly, um, but this this doesn't seem to be a command. In other words, it doesn't say, and you will you you shall go to the synagogue on Saturday and you shall hear the, the Torah read. So, once again, certainly this is implied that we will hear the word of God and that we should hear the word of God. Hilkiah takes the word and he he re, you know he reads the law to the people in their in their gathering, and they all stand up to hear the, the Torah being read, right? So I'm not suggesting that we shouldn't read the, the Torah or read the scriptures when we gather together. I believe we should, but there's nowhere in the scripture where it says Saturday is a Sabbath to the Lord, and you shall gather together, and you shall read the scriptures. That's what I'm trying to say. Um, and I'll just read one more comment in the chat room, and then I'll send it over to you, Rob. Uh, Jessica writes, can the apostolic scriptures be understood as apostolic halakha? Yes, I have uh, argued before that I think the, uh, the Jews uh, basically wrote down their uh, oral Torah, their oral tradition in the Mishnah, and that at the same time or even previous to that, the uh, followers of Yeshua wrote down their, what we could possibly term oral tradition of Yeshua. And uh, I have also made videos on my personal channel, Growing in Messiah, on why I think that it is a misunderstanding to say that the apostolic scriptures cannot make new commands. People have tried to cite uh, Deuteronomy, where it says you shall not add to this uh, law or take away from it, and say that the apostolic scriptures can't make new commands. I reject that fully. Okay. Over to you. Boy. <laughs> a lot going on there. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to add or subtract. <laughs> Do you? Okay. So let's just start here. Do you believe that the, I mean, obviously we've referenced Leviticus 23.3. I mean, do you see the Sabbath as a Mikra Chodesh. Do you think that that is a holy gathering? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think if you're a follower of Yeshua, we have to look, it says, as his custom was, he went in on the Shabbat to the synagogue. Why were there synagogues throughout the diaspora? You know, they weren't in the Holy Land even. There were, there, they were, there, sorry, there were synagogues in the Holy Land, but there, there were lots of synagogues throughout the Mediterranean. Why? While there was a still operating temple in Jerusalem, what what were they doing? And I think that Acts makes it clear, and the Gospels makes it clear that the law and the prophets were read. It was a day where uh, the Jews and those Gentiles who were uh, interested and you know not hostile or whatever could come in and hear, you know, that rest from the work week stop working, right? It's a no work day. And it's a day to meditate upon uh, God's people, re reaffirm what is the covenant, 
reaffirm what is it, what is it that we believe that we um, have revealed knowledge, knowledge that was revealed from heaven that's not man-made. In other words, they're right. not getting together to study Roman law or Greek law. <laughs> they're, they're, you know, they're studying what, what they has... believe. This is God's word, right? This is the word of God and that we as a community are defined in part by holding it sacred. You know, okay, and, I, I, I got it. I got to just say this. You know, I've been to communities before, and I'm I'm not trying to put anybody down, but it's interesting to me that I've been to communities before where there are people who will stand out in the foyer, and all they talk about the whole time is politics. That's it, or business. <laughs> I've heard the, how 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 business is, and but I mean that that's not like ultimately that's not the point of our gathering together is to talk about a different law. In other words, our our the point should be to focus on God's law. Eve in the chat room asks you, Rob. She says, "How do you follow that? That is gathering or going to the synagogue on on Saturday." I, it's it, I think her question is in reference to you saying that you know Yeshua went to the synagogue as was his custom. How do you follow that? It means that on Shabbat is a day. A, it's it's still intact. Right, it's so we, we can get another a number of things that we could derive from Yeshua. Um, uh, we look at Yeshua's Sabbath halacha. A that it he didn't change it to Sunday. He didn't he didn't start meeting say hey you guys stop meeting on that day you got to start meeting on a new day he didn't do that. That he was um, pro life and pro healing. Even on the Sabbath day, when it when other people are like, hey, you can't do that, and he was pro talking about the Word of God. Now Yeshua always would be. It's not like he waited to the Shabbat to teach, but it says he taught in their synagogues, and he got up. Even I think it's in Luke where he reads from Isaiah, from the prophets. And again, this is just another um, more evidence to support what we see in Acts, like we were saying, that the law and the prophets, remember, is it Acts 13? You've probably been there more recently than, than me. Um, it says after they were in Corinth, I think, after the reading of the law and the prophets, they said, anybody has a word, brothers, to stay up, Paul right. stands up, and he he gives an awesome message. Um, so this is an establishment of this. So I believe, personally, you know, in, in our local community, we've done the three-year cycle, I think two for over six year period, we did the three year cycle twice. And then the, this last year we did the one year cycle. We got to a point where it came to the Feast of Tabernacles and we were finishing the three year cycle at the same time that the annual cycle. And we thought, let's, let's do the one year. So this last year, we've just done the one year cycle, but it is reading. It, it, and again, this is a tradition, Right. There's no law from heaven that says you have to read the one-year cycle or the three-year cycle or anything. But it is, it's good. It's a good tradition. How can I say that? Well, A, it's the Word of God. B, it's methodical in that it is a, a seasonal repetition, a cyclical, liturgical uh, uh, flow that people can all be on the same page and be thinking about the same passages of scripture together. And I think that is super valuable. I mean, I, I mean, when else, what's it, does anybody have any better ideas? Like, what do we, like, you know, I mean, I, I'm open to hearing this. Do you have a better idea to, than to read the law and the prophets in, on the Shabbat? You know, I don't know what, is there a better idea out there? We have a lot going on in the chat room and uh, glad I don't have it on. That would, uh, I'd be trying to chase it. So, um, Jose says, does Deuteronomy 31, 19 through, uh, nine through 13 refer to reading the Torah? Yes, it does. And love is bigger says only command, uh, command is to read it every seven years. And that's the Deuteronomy 31 passage. Right, so right. That's true. Um, someone else says, uh, where was that comments? Hang on just, uh, Romans 13, one through 13, uh, three, where it is written to listen to authorities. I am not convinced that this is talking about the government. I know, uh, I know, uh, this has been, uh, uh, thrown out as listening to your local government. 
uh, Roman government. I don't think that that's what it's talking about. Uh, in fact, I think that uh, the the historical grammatical interpretation that I take actually. Um, Paul is dealing with, uh, has just dealt with Corinth and people coming in with credentials that, uh, and trying to basically put him down. And I think that he's writing to Rome and in 13, I believe he's actually talking about community authority and people are going to say, well, he talks about taxes. Uh, there is historical evidence to show that the synagogues, uh, in the diaspora were, uh, in charge of collecting the tax to go back to Rome for the temple tax. Um, so I, I certainly, once again, I'll use the, my, my father's favorite phrase, I would not fall on my sword for this, uh, but at the, for this theology. However, at the same time, I am 100% not convinced. Like, certainly, maybe it's 50-50, but I would say that I am not convinced that Romans 13, 1 through 3 is talking about our government uh, a local government. Certainly, uh, Peter talks about uh, respecting the, uh, the the powers that God has put in authority over us, um, and that includes the emperor. He includes the emperor in that, certainly, but I, once again, don't think that this is necessarily talking about, um, about like, just following the local government. Um, and then, finally, we have one more. Where was it? Should we endorse this? Uh, no, let's see here. Uh, maybe that was it. Anyway, uh, yeah, really good comments in the, uh, so we are commanded to read or not. <laughs> you were talking about reading after saying that's not what Leviticus 23 says. My point is this, and I, and maybe we need to be very clear in both our communities. And I think in almost every believing community and non-believing community around, you gather together and you read the word of God and you worship the Lord. So, but the point that I was trying to make is there's nowhere in the, in Leviticus or in the Torah that says you are to gather together, pull out your scroll and read the Torah. That's not a command. Now, certainly if the Lord is present, which we know the Lord is present in our gatherings, who should we listen to first and foremost? And if we are people of the law, what should be our desire? To understand the Almighty's law and to understand his word and his scriptures. So certainly his word should be front and center at our, at our gatherings. You know, people always say to me, well, what are we going to do? You know, because our community is still trying to kind of gain our legs in terms of what our traditions are and how we structure our services and stuff like that. So for Yom Kippur, somebody said, well, what are we going to do? I said, well, before the sun goes down, we're going to eat a meal together to start the fast. You know, we'll eat a meal and then we'll start the fast together. And then we'll read the scriptures. So uh, the I'm certainly not saying don't read the scriptures. I think that every community should read the scriptures. I mean, but my my only point in that was to say there's no place that specifically God says to us, I think, I mean, I think it's implied, but there's, you know, once, it, you know, watching these hearings, uh, well, I would have to go to those specific points, uh, you know, in litigation and see how this is supported. I mean, there's no law that specifically says when you get together, you are to sing three hymns and then open your scriptures and read at least one chapter. That's not in the Bible. So um, I think, and, and this goes back to, and now if you really want to talk about God's law and how communities structure tradition or how communities structure halakha, this is a perfect one. Is Rob's community on the one-year cycle? Probably. Is my community on uh, not a Torah cycle? Yeah, we're going through Acts right now. And then, you know, my father's community is on a three-year cycle. So you have three different communities who have three different traditions on how to read scripture. Is one of them right? No. Is one of them wrong? No. <laughs> I mean, that's what I mean when I say that there's no command to read scripture. Because there's, the a, there's, a, there's a good verse that I want to share and that you might have had it in mind um, from Hebrews 10 because it talks about the assembly. Maybe you already quoted this, but I want to read from the KJV. Hebrews 10, starting with 23. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. Okay, that's the core point right there. Right. And then it says, for he is faithful who promised, the one that promised. 
And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. So we collectively are holding fast the profession of our faith without wavering. That means I need, that means I'm standing for something. I'm standing for something. Right. And I'm strengthened and I'm in solidarity with the body of Messiah in my stance, whether I'm with one other person, two other people, three other people, or 20 or a hundred or a thousand other people. And then it says, let us consider one another, provoke unto love and to good works. So that means in my stance, in my, in the, the strength of being in Messiah and the confidence and solidarity with the, the mind of Christ in this world, it means there's, there's expectations, love and good works and love. I had a talk with uh, someone the other day, uh, one of our listeners, you know who you are. We were talking about this command, love your neighbor as yourself. And then if you look and it says, but you, you, how does correction fit in? If I'm standing in solidarity with the body Messiah and someone else who proclaims to be standing in solidarity with the body Messiah, but they're behaving in a way that's like they're waffling. It's, I, need to, I need to provoke them to love and good works. I have to remind them just as I need to be reminded if I'm wavering. Right. Right. I need someone to love me. Yeah. Otherwise, otherwise it's not biblical love. If love is not, oh, I don't want to cause any waves with Rob's. I don't want to confront Rob. Or I or me, I don't want to confront that person because it's going to make waves and that's going to be unloving. That's that means we're that's like the lukewarm water, right? right? That's lukewarm. And then what's the next verse? In that context says not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. Right. And so much more as you see the day approaching. In other words, so we have an eschatological picture, right? It's Yeshua's coming, right? When we pray, thy kingdom come, right? Thy will be done on earth as is in heaven, right? We're oriented towards what God's going to, what's God's doing now and what God's going to do in the future. And we're sure of it. We're, we have this hope in ourselves. We know the end. He hasn't hidden it from us. Whether I die in this body and await a resurrection or whether he comes and I'm still in this body, he's already, it, that is not an issue. That's not really a big deal. The big deal is that he has graced us, his people, with knowledge and confidence and hope that does not disappoint. That is, that is oriented towards love of God, as an act of worship of all we are and the light that we bring into the world through love and good works. And part of love is this provocation. And, and I was reading in your dad's commentary on this verse this morning. And I liked to, I liked that he, now normally if anybody's read any of Tim Hague's uh, commentaries, often he's engaging first and foremost with the NASB, the new American standard. But, um, as the main kind of uh, uh, tie down as he goes through the epistle or whatever, or the gospel, but he'll engage, he goes right to the original languages and then he'll sometimes suggest, Hey, notice how this other translation actually captures it better. And in this case, in Tim Hake's commentary on Hebrews 10, he points out that he likes this provoke because he says that is the closest of these different English translations, it actually captures closest out of the KJV. What is being, yeah, the KJV yeah. to provoke. And uh, so he gets into that. It doesn't mean to coerce, but provoke, it's this prodding. And, and how often do we do that? You know, um, it means taking a stand, you know, and we've been saying, Oh, you guys are arrogant. You know, you guys are arrogant or prideful. Um, you know, maybe I'm not above being arrogant. I'm not above being prideful, but I would suggest that at least some of the time that I've been judged as being arrogant or prideful, it actually wasn't that. It was actually me standing for the truth of scripture unashamedly. Right. And uh, so, you know, we're all on a learning curve here and by God's grace, we grow in, in spiritual maturity with every breath that he 
provides for us. You know, every morning, every new morning that we wake up in this world, um, and and continue to to seek Him first in all things. Um, and so, I can't do that in a cave by myself. Right. Um, that's just you know, there might be a season. A time, I, I, I'm, I'm a firm believer in like sabbaticals or times where someone serves and they get away, you know, just like the land, right? The land has a rest. Then there's a jubilee kind of thing where things get reset back. Um, but in terms of the bulk of our, of our time as members of the body of Messiah is, is that's exactly it. We are members of a body and that must be, that, that must be uh, evident in in our life. Right. With that, I want to thank everyone. If you are a supporter, uh, please go to Messiah Matters More and check out our video on denominationalism from this week. If you're not a supporter, you can become one at TorahResource.com. Go to Torah Resource, hover over resources, go down to Messiah Matters, Click on that, and then there is instructions on that web page on how to become a supporter if you want to become a supporter. And uh, for everyone, please don't forget to like this video and subscribe to our YouTube channel because it really does help us, believe it or not. We hope that this conversation has done at least one thing, and that is to glorify our great God and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah. Why? You know why. Because Messiah matters. Amen.